0: As we as we heard earlier jesus when looking at thomas said stop doubting believe stop doubting believe i don't know if you like me doubt people from time to time i guess we all do the two categories of people i have to say i do sometimes doubt first of all weather forecasters did they say it was going to rain this morning i'm not sure but we've got April showers in August I know but anyway sometimes they get it wrong hopelessly wrong in in the main they're pretty good and the other people I have to say I do doubt very often are politicians how many politicians could you name I'm not going to ask you to name any but how many could you name and you always believe what they say I think my list would be on the whole pretty short as I mentioned earlier Yes, there are many stories in the Bible of people who doubt, and Terry has just reminded us of Ananias. Ananias, incredible. Here he was, he was sitting inside his uh, lounge perhaps in Damascus, maybe watching the Olympics on television, I don't know. don't want to trivialize the story too much, but equally I'd put it in some sort of context. He was clearly minding his own business, enjoying life, when the phone rings, and there's the Lord on the line want you to go down to this house in Straight Street, um, uh, uh, Ananias, and restore the sight of Saul from Tarsus. Don't be stupid, Lord. He's come to kill us. He'll kill me. I'm not going to do that. I don't suppose he actually said that um, to God on the line, but he must have gone down uh, around Straight Street with some hesitation, some doubts in his mind. But thank goodness, He did carry out the instruction. You imagine if Saul, or Paul as we really know him, if he hadn't been converted, um, how thin, for example, the New Testament would be. 14 out of 27 books in the New Testament, arguably, were written by or about Paul. If you remove Paul from the, the Bible, it gets rather thin. But Ananias must have had serious doubts. Stop doubting. Believe. If you look at Nicodemus, uh, do you remember Nicodemus? He only appears in John's Gospel but three times. The first time he's a leader of the Pharisees, or one of the leaders anyway, and he goes down to uh, see Jesus. I want to see God. And I'm sure you remember Jesus's reply. You've got to be born again what what I don't understand you're talking nonsense how can I be born again once more he probably didn't actually say that um, but he must have thought it he certainly I think must have had some doubts the second time he appears he is um, in a crowd and the crowd are baying. they want Jesus they're going to kill him he's he's to blame for all this trouble we've got And so the Pharisees and the guards send out a posse to bring Jesus in. And when they don't, oh, why haven't you brought him in? Come on, you're very weak. But Nicodemus stands up and says, "Uh, uh, uh, wait wait a minute, you're assuming he's guilty. You're breaking your own law. And we read it um, uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that the law says very easily, you must let the person you think is guilty Express his point of view before you condemn. And you haven't done that. I wonder, friends, whether you and I are as good at standing up in a crowd when we know that what is right and we want to say it, but perhaps we're fearful of saying it for being unpopular. It takes some courage. But Nicodemus, pennies seemed to be starting to drop. The doubt seemed to be going. Yes, this chap, Jesus, you know, really is something. And the third time he appears um, in John's Gospel, Nicodemus is um, going after the resurrection to um, help um, Joseph of Arimathea to, as it were, make Jesus' body um, smell nice. And he has 75 pounds of myrrh. And 75 pounds of myrrh not only is jolly expensive, but you would only normally take that when it's a king who dies so the penny it seems had at last dropped but there was Nicodemus clearly full of courage by that point and realizing who Jesus was Perhaps the last example to give but one could go on for many examples the last example is Peter if you look in Matthew chapter 14 you'll find the story the very well known of course of Jesus um, walking on the water He's fed the 5,000, or I like to think of it as 10,000 5,000 men, and 5,000 women, and children. And he sent the disciples on a boat across the Sea of Galilee. Dark, storm, and the disciples in the boat are pretty terrified. And you remember how Jesus comes down from the mountain, starts walking on the water towards the boat, and Peter, standing in the boat, is, is that you jesus can i see you in the in the fog in the distance if it is say come come says jesus and so peter gets out of the boat and remember how he starts okay walking on the water himself but then peter sinks only when jesus saves him and takes peter back to the boat then the storm vanishes Isn't it so, friends, that if we have a problem to share with a friend, particularly if that friend is Jesus, the problem may not go away, but is certainly reduced. Now, as I've said, one could go on and on with different examples of how people who have doubts weren't, to begin with, believing, but they were fairly strong characters. I won't embarrass anyone here by asking whether you have doubts about anything, but I know some people, not here, but some people have doubts about the pandemic. Isn't he a God of love? Why does he allow such unhappiness, such miseries, such situations, such disasters to appear? No one, friends, has really got an answer to that, but one thing we do know for certain Is that in spite of all the misery in spite of all the problems that have arisen with the pandemic in the last year and a half or so some good things have come out of it let's just look very quickly at two or three just to see could they help us can we use them in looking for the new normal I think we must surely conclude Probably I can't be sure of course, but probably God has arranged that something that we've got to do some Some notice we've got to take of what's happened to produce a new normal We mustn't try and just go back to the old normal and I suppose one of the main things we've all learnt is Zoom or FaceTime or something like that modern technology how to use it and clearly there are great savings as we know, services can be, like this morning, streamed or Zoomed. Meetings can be Zoomed. I remember going to many meetings in London where sometimes there would be someone from Glasgow, someone from Cornwall, someone from France even. And you think the cost in terms of time and money of organizing that meeting. But they Zoom, they just press a few buttons, turn a few dials, and bingo, you can go to that meeting wherever it's held. Amazing technology. I wonder whether God has in mind for us to continue modern technology when we get to some sort of new normal. One understands that um, the streaming of our services goes way beyond Lindfield and Haywards Heath. I wonder whether we should have a list of virtual members from around the world who listen to the services. That would certainly perhaps help them enable us to create more disciples wouldn't it of course the the conditions the benefits the privileges the problems that they would inherit as members virtual members are very different from our situation but nevertheless there may well be benefits maybe some church meetings should be on zoom or something similar and one can go on about the advantages of that but and I think there's a very very big but indeed I've heard so many people say of course, everybody's on zoom or FaceTime or something there's no problem at all we can all just switch off now don't bother to go to meetings or whatever don't even bother to come to church just listen surely we know friends not everybody of course has zoom or can have the technology or can use the technology and we sometimes I'm sure forget and these people might well feel, and we must prevent it from happening when being second them being second, or them thinking they are second-class citizens. That's not right. They're not in any way at all. So we must use any modern technology very wisely. Perhaps a second comment to make about the pandemic and the advantages. How many of us, I wonder, two years ago, well, A had heard of Zoom, but I was thinking more at the moment of, thought there would come a time when we wouldn't be able to go and have coffee with our friends wouldn't be able to go and visit friends and family in another part of the country we would by law be prevented from doing that I'd be surprised if any of us realized that situation was coming but as we know it did I think and certainly I'm guilty as anybody we took uh, really for granted the ability to meet up with friends and relatives so readily has that not taught us to perhaps appreciate more being with uh, friends and colleagues family and in the way we go about things the way we organize things to appreciate getting together with other people if you look up the internet if you have the internet and are able to do this if you look up church with no walls you'll find there are quite a number around the world for um, I think two reasons mainly. First, they think they 're more inclusive. Some people won 't go anywhere near a church, just don 't fancy it don't think they want to be tarnished with the brush they would see it. But go to a community center perhaps, or go to some hall they 've hired, and yes, um, they will do that. and therefore, having no walls in your church, having no building is seen by some as being more inclusive. People are more inclined to want to go. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying any church, I'm not saying Linfield or any other church should get rid of its buildings, but I think it does teach us, perhaps, to look more carefully at our resources. Are we spending too much on certain things, such as buildings? Are too many people spending too much time looking after something which doesn't really matter, or about buildings and so on? It does teach us perhaps to look more carefully at some of the things which um, we again have taken for granted we must keep at all costs are they really worth keeping at all costs one again could go on with examples um, but I wonder where do we go from here as we said a few minutes ago I'm sure God is asking us to look at very carefully Um, the new normal and I believe in our private lives in our church lives I believe in churches we should look very carefully at what we do what God um, is asking us to do there was um, some of you may read the reform magazine the uh, editor Stephen Tompkins um, wrote in the April edition he was talking about Thomas the doubter and he wrote that probably Thomas has the profoundest grasp of who Jesus really is or was. Interesting comment, profoundest grasp. It seems an extraordinary, in a way, extraordinary thing to say, but having been a doubter, he'd convinced himself that there was no need to doubt. He could genuinely believe. And so, friends, let me end by saying that I I think we are hopefully being equipped by the Holy Spirit To go and think very seriously about what should our new normal look like, not like the old necessarily, bits of it certainly, but not to slavishly go and look um, at what the old normal was and try and reproduce it once again. Let's be excited, let's do something really out of the blue, out of the box whatever, something with God's help, with the help of the Holy Spirit to fulfill more perhaps Um, The command to make disciples and you remember the greatest command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and to love your neighbor yes everyone in need your neighbor as yourself with God's help we will do just that Amen